I found a way to not let the imbalance bother me. And that I think is, a, is, is the biggest thing that I've learned. Welcome to the Veterinary Financial Podcast, where we discuss financial freedom and whole life success. I am Meredith Jones, an emergency vet in Virginia. And I'm Phil Zeltzman, a board-certified small animal surgeon in Pennsylvania. So we're all struggling with time management. We all wear multiple hats. Clinician, possibly practice owner, parent, cook, grocery shopper, investor, and so much more. So we wanted to explore that and see if there's a solution to the madness. Unfortunately, we have found someone who has been able to juggle all of these roles. Our guest today is Danny McVitie, founder and CEO of Lap of Love Veterinary Hospice. Danny's a good friend of the Veterinary Financial Summit. She was actually our keynote speaker during our inaugural summit last September. Hi, Danny. Welcome. Thank you, guys. So happy to be here. So, Danny, we just talked about juggling roles, and many of us talk about those in the context of work or life-work balance. Is there such a thing as work-life balance? You know, I think it has to, has to do with your own personal view on it um, and probably how you see work and how you see yourself and your family life as well. You know, for me, there, honestly, even since I was a kid, there really hasn't been much of a, of a difference. I chose veterinary medicine because I wanted to, to do it. And I chose, you know, a family life, obviously, because I wanted to do that too. So when I look at those, you know, two competing, obviously, things for, you know, the, the most important competing things for our attention, to me, it, it's just an integration. It's just the balancing of the two things. And some days you work more and some days you work less. And, you know, sometimes that work is family and sometimes it's not. And so to me, there there isn't much, but that's just the way I look at it. And that has provided, in my life at least, the feeling of... Um, success when sometimes you want to talk yourself into you're you're not doing either of them well you know I'm not being a good mom and I'm not being a good business person but to me just finding the integration of both has has, has been part of the key to finding balance and I'm not saying you you said that I found a way to, to balance it I don't think I found a way to balance it I found a way to not let the imbalance bother me and that I think is a is, is the biggest thing that I've learned Tell us more about how your career has changed over the years and what work-life balance has meant for you at various stages in your career. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good topic. So, you know, when, when I was in vet school, I, had, I was newly married when I, when I got into vet school. And, and I was lucky in that sense because my husband was also in graduate school. So there was an understanding that study was important to us. You know, so there was a, a mutual understanding. And I think that it's really tough when you have a, a partner or even, gosh, a roommate that doesn't understand that those study times are important to you. Um, and, you know, obviously you're doing it not because it's just important in the moment, but it's important long term. And so at, at the beginning, that was that I mean, that, that's obviously, an, you know, the, the probably the most integral part of finding balance um, is being aligned in your priorities within yourself and then with those with those around you as well. And then um, when I had my first child, now all of a sudden my priorities got flipped on its head because, you know, I wanted to be a mom and I wanted to be a good mom and I wanted to be a present mom. Um, so I knew what kind of mother I want to be. And that doesn't mean that, you know, if you feel that your child going to daycare from 
7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day, if you feel like that's okay, then then you know, li- listen, that's that's fine. That's what you are, that you know, that's the type of, of, of mother you want to be. And I certainly don't think that it's any of our place to judge that. There's parenting books that will judge you enough for different ways of parenting, you know. So I knew that I wanted to be a present mom. And I, I will tell you, there was one day that I was talking to somebody else. I was talking to an older, I don't know, I don't know if this person was a veterinarian or just, or just an older mother. And she actually said to me, or I, or first I said to her, you know, I, I, I want to be very present as much as I can when my kids are young so that when they're a little bit older, I'll probably start working more. And she actually told me, she goes, flip it around. She's like, first of all, they're not going to remember when they're young, whether or not you're there or not, you know, as much. Um, but also when they get into be the middle school years and the high school years, that's when you really need to be present and involved in their life and who, the, who are their friends and where are they going and that kind of thing. And that actually really helped me prioritize as a, as a young mother what I was going to do and, and how I was going to balance that family life. So for me, you know, I, I'm now 39, I'll be 40 at the end of this year. And just lucky enough to have found the balance in my career that, that I really, really like. Um, but early on, very, very, very early on, I was just recalling this yesterday. I worked my butt off. I mean, I was so driven when I first started Lap of Love. I mean, I was so driven that I would sleep three and four and five hours a night. And I remember I would wake up at three or four a.m. and get so excited and get up and go. And I was answering emails and you know, it was, it was just me for the first year and it would me and the clients and that was it. And I just kept going and going and going. And that, that drive kept on for a really long time. I mean, I, I had a drive like that probably until just my age wouldn't let me function on four to five hours, nights of sleep. And I, I hit a wall, you know, somewhere around five years ago or so I just kind of hit a wall and I knew that I had to readjust my sleeping schedule. So my point is, I gave up sleep in order to have both my work and my time with my kids. And that, that's, what I, that's what I gave up. And it worked for me for a short amount of time. Let's move into financial topics. We've talked about priorities in work and family life. What advice do you have for colleagues on how to prioritize financial goals? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and you know, they're all the same to me, meaning it all kind of goes, they're, they're all hubs and spokes of, of the same wheel and it's just a matter of how you're going to balance it out. Um, and, and financial goals have always been extremely important to me. You know, my parents had me when they were 19. They didn't have any money when they started. So I kind of grew up with them, you know, watching them become entrepreneurs and push their way through. And I was taught at a young age little things, not big things, because my parents were still learning the big things. I was taught little things like <clears throat> you don't carry credit card balances, you don't purchase a car that if you can't pay it off completely. And so I lived like that for a very, very long time, um, mainly because, to be honest with you, you know, my biggest fear in life is that I'll end up being 60, 70, 80 years old and have nothing. And, and even watching the financial crash of 2008, 2009, and then some of these, you know, schemes like the Ponzi schemes that have happened over the years, you look at people that have been in that situation, you know, they're 60, 70, 80 years old, like they're retiring age, like you shouldn't have to work at that age. And unless you want to, veterinarians typically want to. Um, but when I'm at that age, I want to be able to have a choice. You know, if I'm 80 years old, I don't want to have to work. Like that just doesn't seem right. So that's always been a motivating factor for me is 
the freedom that comes with financial security um, and balance. So when, when, I, when I graduated, I graduated with an average amount of debt at the time. Um, I got an average job at the time and I started Lap of Love on shoestring. I remember actually there was one time that, because um, I'm, I'm a bit of a people pleaser, so even when people would try to call and sell me advertising space and like at the very beginning I couldn't afford it. Then I remember this one person like she pushed really hard and I ended up signing up with her and I had barely even started the company yet and it was like a $1,200 ad space and, and, and I regretted it. Like literally an hour later I was like, oh my gosh, there's no, I can't pay you this. This is going to take me a month or two to pay out. There's no way. So I called her and, um, and she's like, no, we can't cancel. Even though it says, you know, we can in the contract, we can't. It was this very weird thing. So actually, this is so, so terrible. I canceled my credit card that I put it on and I opened up a new credit card. It was, so, it was completely legal. Like I was fine with it, you know. But, uh, but it's, it's little things like that that like I, I learned these tiny little, these, I just, I, I learned like how to make really, really, really conservative financial decisions so that I wasn't extending myself too fast. Um, but look, we all, we all make mistakes and we adjust and, you know, we kind of get through things. Um, but I think that, that for me, at least the priority to, or the, the way to, to prioritize financial freedom is perhaps a little bit like, um, I don't know, it's, it's not unlike eating healthy, right? Now, like if I see a pizza well, I'm pregnant right now, so this doesn't count. But under normal circumstances, <laughs> if I see a pizza, like with ooey gooey cheese on it and garlic sauce and all this stuff, you know, if it's organic, that's one thing. But like if it's if it's unhealthy, all I see when I look at it is a stomach ache. Like I just see a stomach ache. And it's the same when you see something that you would love, but maybe you know you can't afford it. All I see is the heartache and the regret that comes from spending my money on something that is not um, in line with my priorities at the time. And then I almost get a high off of not buying it, you know? And it's, it's again, it's just, it's just worked for me. So Danny, what do you tell parents who are having trouble juggling financial goals with being a good parent and a good role model? Yeah, you know, and I, I think at, at the end of the day, this is where a lot of our hearts get, get torn. And whether or not you're a pet parent or a parent of human kids, you know, it's, it, it's kind of, it, it's very similar. Am I spending enough time? Am I doing enough? Am I providing enough? You know, that's, that's all that, all, all those little things that come into your brain. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, the kids are not going to remember all the stuff that they have. And my kids have a lot of stuff, but I know that they're not going to remember that. They're going to remember the quality time that I have with them. You know, I have been lucky enough to find something in veterinary medicine that I love and that has been a financial re reward to me as well. Um, but it has not come without a lot, a lot of hard work. And there were years, and I don't mean like a couple months here and there, there were years where I would put my kids in the car seats in the weekend and we would drive around to appointments. And, you know, I would go see the hospice and euthanasia appointments and they'd have an iPad in front of them. But between appointments, we'd stop at a park and we'd stop and grab a bite to eat. And, you know, that it's just what worked for me at the time. And now I don't have to do that. And they don't even remember it, you know. So 
it's it's all it's a balance of, of knowing where your investment is going to come from and then hopefully that there's you know there are we all hope and pray that there's a, a return on the other side and I you know the the hard work that I that I put in for years and years and years and the, and the team around me put in for years and years that has eventually paid off into a circumstance where now that we're dealing with you know, post-COVID, I guess we're still in the COVID time, but a bit of that post-COVID time, I was able to bring my kids home and they were actually in the room with me at a separate part of the room, homeschooling. And that has meant everything to me that I can figure out a way to, to balance that. But again, that's that's come from years of investing in in the the, the work that I'm doing in a way that has now turned into be a, a good return and has allowed me to have that time with them. Um, again, without COVID, I don't know that we would be in this situation, but it's a situation that I found myself able to respond to. Um, and that has been a, a balance in and of itself. You know, now, now, now you balance, mom, my Zoom doesn't work. How do I do that? You know, with the fact that I have, um, that I'm on a meeting myself, you know? So it's, but I would rather do this than than anything else. And I've, you know, I've told my husband for years that I would live in a mobile home park if it meant that I got to have more time with my kids because that's what I want right now. You know, so if, if it meant that I had to live in a rundown shack because that's how I was able to save for our future and spend the time with the kids that was meaningful to me, then that's what I would do. But, you know, you have to give up a lot of society's thoughts and feelings about that. You know, if it meant that we had to live somewhere that was inexpensive just to make that happen, then I have to get past the, but I don't have the nicest house and I don't have the nicest car and, you know, and we don't eat out as much as everybody else does. And I wish we could afford to do X, Y, Z. And it's just a matter of having to separate yourself from, from that mentality and dedicate, you know, to what your priorities are. And again, there's nothing wrong with a nice house. I have one. There's nothing wrong with a nice car. I have one, you know, but that's just because it's been years of making other sacrifices so that that's possible now. Yeah. And I think it's easy for someone to look at someone who's really successful um, and someone who's built a, a, a bigger business like you have and say, oh, well, her life is easy. Then taking a look at and, and hearing about how you've had to sacrifice and really, really anybody who has, has built something like what you have has had to sacrifice at some point, you know, whether it's uh, financially or whether it's with, with time or something's got to give somewhere. So you talk to a lot of vet students, you talk to a lot of early career vets, and you became an entrepreneur really early in your career. And so what do you recommend when someone in early career comes to you and says, hey, I'm really interested in starting a business or starting a yeah. practice? You know, there's a, um, there's a, a famous roofie, it was either um, it was either a Sufi poet or Rumi or one, one of those poets a long time ago had this poem that said, you know, we all sit in a circle and suppose while the truth sits in the center and knows. And... I heard that when I was in high school, and to me, it it's what being an entrepreneur is about, that you can get in a circle and talk about being an entrepreneur all day long. 
you can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and build a business model and do this and do that and like talk about it and what logo should I have and you can go on and on and on and on and on about what you're going to do and unless you do it you are just talking about being an entrepreneur you're sitting in the circle you got to get in the middle and you have to do it and that goes for really any type of business you know if you want to sell t-shirts you got to start selling t-shirts you can't spend all your time on the website and all your time on the designs and all this stuff yeah you got to you got to have those things but at the end of the day if you don't have a product that people are willing to pay you for you have a hobby that's all you have so when people come to me and ask me and you know maybe say hey could can you be my mentor which hey, listen, I listen I love all those things it's it's fantastic I love it but at the end of the day if you're not actually going to do it you're just talking about it and that's fine but there's like a ton of support groups online that you can talk about it with you know so you have to do it and i think an, an important part of that is that if you if you really look at any you know successful entrepreneur around you and i'm not talking about like the uber uber successful people that are sitting on shark tank i mean like the regular entrepreneurs they're all going to tell you that they just did it and very few of them probably had super, super important mentors that kind of led their, you know, held their hand and led them through it. They just had the guts to do it. And you make mistakes and you read laws by yourself and you try to figure out what you need to do and what you don't need to do. I literally, even to this day, I actually still enjoy reading the veterinary medical practice laws in different states. Now I, I have, you know, the risks are bigger, the bigger the company gets. So we have attorneys that will help like help figure it out. But the beginning it was just me. And I would pick up the phone and ask and call and pick up the phone and ask and call. And that, I mean, that's, that's, that's at the end of the day, you have to be able to do that. And you cannot lean on somebody else to do it for you. Everyone else around you is just going to be in the circle, you know, clapping their hands and cheering you on. But unless you get in the middle and do it, you're not going to get anywhere. Very true. One thing that I've noticed is that Burnout, of course, is a big problem in our profession. And I've also seen that burnout seems to be, for a lot of vets, the spark that causes them to decide to pursue entrepreneurship. Have you noticed that as well? Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like that burnout either pushes you to want to go do something else on your own or it pushes you to find the type of job in veterinary medicine that is calming and relaxing to you. You know, it's one of those. It's like either I'm going to take a step into this or I'm going to take a step back out of it and this is just going to be, you know, a job for me. It's not going to be my career, my passion really anymore. Um, yeah, and I think you know, I think burnout I have a different take on burnout just in my own personal life. You know, I think that we can have we can have moments where we're overworked, we're tired, we're pulled in too many di different directions. But to me, that's not burnout, you know. And I always tell the veterinary students that I talk to, I'm like, don't peak in your 30s or 40s. Like, don't do that, you know. Don't don't come to you know to to, to another veterinarian at like age 35 and be like, I'm burned out. Like, listen, unless you've been doing like, I don't know, 20 hours a day five or six days a week on emergency and you're getting pulled like no you know no just keep your head down remember how badly you wanted to be a part of this profession i i was on the admissions committee at the university of florida for four years and it like it literally changed my perspective on so many things because i remembered how badly i wanted to be a veterinarian also and these students are just like they are they would give their right pinky 
to be a veterinarian. And we were all in that place at one point. That's how we got this far. We all studied until midnight, 1 a.m. on a Friday night before. Like that's how we got here. So I, it, it's fascinating how you know we get we get to be veterinarians, and then all of a sudden we want to blame our, our being busy on the veterinary profession. Well, it's burning me out. Is it burning you out? Veterinary medicine hasn't changed. In I mean, it's evolved, but it hasn't changed. So it's still the same profession you want to be a part of. You just get to decide how you're going to align your priorities and your time. And, you know, if you are wanting to pay back your, your, your debt or you're wanting to you know, ha- reach that financial freedom that gives you the ability to take three months of the year off, you know, you work hard for that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you get burned out. You just work hard. And hopefully we don't peak, you know, <laughs> peak too early, that is. <laughs> So Danny, as you just said, you spend a lot of time with students. What do they talk about these days? What are their dreams and hopes and concerns? You know, I don't think it has changed that much over the years. Just what what students feel. I mean, I, I still kind of feel like a new grad, even though I graduated 12 years ago. You know, it's funny how that <laughs> kind of like just feels. But I, I really don't, I don't think it's changed too much. It mainly just because the fact that as a veterinarians, we are going to graduate in our mid to late 20s anyway. So you've hopefully gotten past a lot of the chaotic, extremely you know, um, chaotic years of your life. But I think that when we get into veterinary school, we, we want to be part of a, of a profession that we're proud of. We want to be part of a, of a profession that's going to give us a good life and hopefully give us a little bit of fulfillment. And it's, I think the sad part about that is that, is that when some of us join the veterinary profession, those are actually the things that we don't necessarily feel, you know, in, in the profession. And of course those, and I'm not by any means saying that I don't understand what the, you know, the burnout conversation is. I just think it's a, it's a, it's a way of looking at it, you know, that's different. Um, but it, it, it's, I believe it's very, very tough when you graduate and you do not see a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Like you have hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar plus student loans. You are being told you're not going to make more than eighty, ninety, hundred thousand, whatever, and you just don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's, I think, at the end of the day, particularly when we talk about financially, that's what really draws everybody down, and is a very, very frustrating thing to have to get over, you know. And as an employer myself, you know, being in the position of hiring a lot of these doctors, my perspective changed quite a bit from when I was an employee. And let me share this because I think that this is an important part for anybody who really, really wants to make more money at what they're doing. I think this is an important part for everybody to kind of understand. When I was an employee, I remember, and I graduated from veterinary school, and, and I'm getting out, and I'm finally getting medicine under my belt, and I'm really, I'm becoming a very effective veterinarian. That obviously doesn't happen for quite a few months, even, you know, a year plus sometimes. I remember sitting in, in, the, in the seat of being an employee and thinking, why don't you see my potential? Why don't you see how much more I can give? And I told my boss at one point, who is a wonderful, wonderful human being, I told her, you know, why don't you... Why don't you let me do some marketing? Why don't you let me um, go talk to some other clinics? Why don't you let me do you know, some of these things? So she got me some business cards and was like, there you go. And I remember thinking to myself like, 
but now what? Aren't you going to like tell me what to do? And then now as an employer, people do the same thing to me. I have so much more potential. I have so much more to give. I can do so much more. You know, you can, you can get more out of me. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't have time to tell you what to do. I can tell you a couple of our problems. Hey, listen, we got to fix this marketing issue or this, this thing, you know, but you got to come to me with the ideas because I don't know. I like, I don't have time. I'm, I'm sitting in, in this seat in the company and I don't have time to coach you on that seat. And it's the people that come to the employers with the ideas. You come with an idea, you come with an executable plan that you can actually see through and how that's going to affect the bottom line of a business. And then once you implement that plan and see it through, and now you know you have now seen a financial gain in the business, that is the point at which you become a more valuable employee and you are able to garner a larger salary if that's what you're looking for anyway. But the problem is when people come to you asking for a larger salary, when they are being paid exactly what that role dictates. And just because you're there for a really long time doesn't necessarily mean that every year you get a raise when the revenue that you're generating isn't going up as well. So in, in that sense, it, it, you know, we have structured our compensation in our company that provides a very, very good base salary. Now our work is very different than emergency work and that kind of thing. So it's, it's completely different, but a few years ago, we went back and said, wow, the highly performing doctors are not getting compensated at the same level as the, the doctors that are in smaller areas, for example. So we went back and put together a really, really large bonus package that was extreme, like huge. So basically, if you are double more productive than another doctor that's in a smaller area, you should be receiving, in my mind, double the compensation. And that's how we were able to, to push that through. So just like everything, you know, it's a work in progress and it never feels perfect. But as an employee, you should feel that you are compensated fairly for the revenue that you generate. And at the end of the day, that is the only way that a company can afford to compensate you. And if you're not happy with that, you got to go start your own business. You know, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, if that is not a satisfactory answer for you, then it's time that you go start your, your own business. And then at that point, you can see what it looks like when you generate revenue, but that revenue, 90% of it has to go back out to pay the attorney who set up, set up the articles incorporation, right? Who, to pay the Google AdWords, to pay your tax accountant that makes sure that your um, paychecks are done on time, that uh, pay the insurance. And now all of a sudden you're looking at 10% of your revenue and an employee is asked for a 2% raise or you know, a 2% of that as a raise. So that's, again, that's where those conversations come in and in understanding, particularly from the financial perspective and then uh, uh, the entrepreneurial perspective also, that, that you, know, you reach financial freedom by having an attitude of, I can do it, I can make this happen, um, and or really, really good budgeting, right? You're either gonna, <laughs> you're either gonna increase you know, the amount of money that you make or you decrease the amount of money that you spend. And that's how you, generate a larger delta between the two and it's 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 funny i mean personally i've always been much better at how do i make more money than i am at budgeting i you know had got good tips from my parents and stuff like that you know and you read books and you get inspired to to budget well but we're all better at different things i've always been much better at making more money than i was at spending less <laughs> so.
Yeah, yeah. It's like ideally we would be good at both, but yeah, it's uh... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and listen, some people are so good at budgeting, you know, that that they can that they can make the same delta, mm-hmm. right? As those that make a lot of money. So it is. It's it it takes both. And if you're better at one than the other, then that's cool too, you know. But I've always been super hard worker and like, you know, we'll work at night and make all these things happen. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, just different traits. <laughs> so you may or may not have just answered this question already, but um, as as you're talking about being in the employer position versus the associate position and, and coming to your employer with ideas, if you're an associate, how do you get your employer to be open to your amazing ideas? Right. And that is a that's a very good question, and I'm just plain and simple, not all of them are going to be. Not all of them are. Because sometimes you have an idea about pivoting the company in a way that's going to be this amazing, awesome, cool thing, but that just may not be the vision of the company. Um, I remember, you know, years and years, I read the story years ago, but Domino's, right, in like the mid-90s, there was this big health food um, craze, and everyone's like, oh, health food, health food, health food, and you, Domino's, you're, you're just doing pizza, why don't you do salads, and you should do breadsticks that are healthy, blah, blah, blah. and the, the leader of Domino's said, at least this is the article that I think he said, you know, we make a pizza, and we bring it to your door, we make a pizza, we bring it to your door. We make a pizza, we bring it to your door. Like he knew what their business model was. You make a pizza and you bring it to the door, right? Domino's isn't known for the best pizza in the world. Pretty dang good, you know, but it, it, they make a pizza, they bring it to your door. And that's who they are. They're not a salad company. They're not a health food company. They're not like, they're not, they don't do anything else. So my point is like, if your idea is shot down, that's fine. That's fine. That just means that it's not in the, in the, the path of the company. But if it's a great idea, just, you know, spin it off and do it on your own and then go charge your company that you're working now or a different company to, you know, to hire you as a consultant to see through that idea. So every single company that you see, you know, you look around you, every company has started from just an idea. Amazon, Tesla, Lab of Love, you know, everything, even, even the idea of doing specialty only practice decade, you know, a couple decades ago, it was just an idea. No one knew if it was going to really take off. And some of these companies took years and years and years to take off. Go look at Amazon's history of stock. And that's just even when they went public. They were just tiny little company for many, many years. And then it takes off. So the point is you can't get, you know, you can't just get dismayed by some of these things, but you, it's your future is, is in your hands and that's it. And your future is not in your employer's hands. I think that's a really important point. Your future is in your hands, not in your employers. So tell us about Lap of Love and how you see its place in the veterinary landscape nationally. Ah, yeah. Well, you know, we we have we've started a service that I thought for a very long time would eventually be taken up by you know by private practitioners and, and that kind of thing. Never imagined that I'd still be here in ten years. Never. And I think the coolest part about it is that the type of people that come and work with us are very like-minded. It's not, it's not kind of a default thing that, you know, you become a veterinarian, you go work in a private practice. It's a very mindful, dedicated decision that our doctors and our support team make to join a company like ours that does end-of-life care. So I think that, you know, as, as Lap of Love grows, we're going to continue to 
attract the type of people that want a different lifestyle. Um, again, it's this, this is, you know, we're very cerebral as doctors, all of us are. Um, but the, the type of doctor that does this work is also very, very, very empathetic and loves the fulfillment that they get from clients. I've said this for years, if I could pay back my student loans with, with thank you cards, I would. You know, thank you cards to me are like another form of payment. And I would almost rather somebody write me a really nice thank you card than even send me a check. Like I love the fulfillment that I get from knowing that I did something. And I've always known that that would translate into financial and business success as well. And it always has. So, you know, when I, when, when I look at, at Lap of Love's role in veterinary medicine just in general, I don't have these grandiose thoughts that we're going to change veterinary medicine or we're going to do anything. We're just, we're, we're, we're riding out our place and we are wanting to do the very best we can and communicate the things we've learned to people, to doctors around us. And that is actually one of our core values as a company is reputational excellence, which means we are going to give back to the profession and we're going to continue to give back and we're never not going to give back. I remember when I first started, even people would say, why are you giving out your sedation protocols? That's like your secret sauce. Why are you doing that? Why are you giving out the phrasings that you actually use and you know how you handle appointments? I'm like, because it makes every euthanasia better. Everyone. So I would never hold that back. And even now, like if, if students want to shadow our doctors, you know, our doctors know and they all are on board with the fact that that betters our profession and that's who we are. So I don't like to think that Lab of Love will be around for hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, that's a cool notion. But it, regardless of, of what happens with the company and how it evolves, we are going to continue to make a difference in the profession and better the profession and the people around us be, just because it's the right thing to do. That's awesome. Tell us about your other core values. Oh yeah. Okay. So reputational excellence is, is, is our, our, our third one. Um, our other one is, um, uh, above and going above and beyond. So, so basically loving everybody around us and always making sure that we are dedicated to helping the experiences somebody has with us as good as it can possibly be. I mean, for example, you know, all of our doctors know that if they go into a home and let's say that the family isn't ready to euthanize, you know, and this, this rarely happens, crazy enough, you would think it happens more, but it rarely happens. But if the family isn't ready or if the pet's not ready and maybe the doctor doesn't feel comfortable, it's a behavioral euthanasia, just something like that, you know. Again, you, you think that it happens more with us, but it doesn't. Um, then they know, our doctors know, just leave. Just leave. There's no charge to the family. There's no, um, you know, cancellation fee. We have no cancellation fee at all because I want that family to know that, that when they are ready, they can come back and call us. And I want the doctor to know that they have the right and the obligation to make that experience with the family as good as it can possibly be. If they're in a home and a doctor has a birthday tomorrow, you know, then send them flowers, you know, tell, tell your practice manager and they will literally send the family flowers to make sure that that, you know, that family has a good experience. So going above and beyond, but that's, again, that, that's a, that's a personal, it's a personality thing. You know, you either have that personality that you are dedicated to the experience that other people have around you or you're not, and you get fulfilled from it, not, not drawn, you know, taken back by it. 
Um, our other core value is dedicated to culture, which means that we are all dedicated to the fact that we're in this together and that we're going to care about each other. Um, an example is, you know, I have early, early, early on when we were setting these cultural things, I let go of a couple of very productive doctors that simply were not good communicators. And they were mean and rude to the team. And it wasn't, it's not one thing, not just I've had a bad day. You know, these are consistent things that would happen and consistent uh, miscommunications and just issues that were taken personally that just were not in line with who we were at all. And, um, you know, so to me, you know, when I let go of doctors or other team members that are like that, simply because, again, they, they, uh, they drag the culture of the company down, that sends a message to everybody else that, that says, A, we're not going to tolerate people that, that, are not, that are dragging our culture down, but also B, I'm going to be protective of it for everybody. And it's not going to be about money and it's not going to be about just driving business. It's going to be about the culture because the money and the business follows if we do the right thing. So that's, those are our three. Um, always going above and beyond, you know, actually loving humans. <laughs> um, and then dedicated to culture and then reputational excellence. Those are our three core values. Excellent. Thank you. So, Danny, what is your best advice for our listeners? Oh, so because we're because of this, uh, you know, the, the financial, the financial topic of what we're talking about, I would I would say that you have to set your priorities and not apologize for them. And if your priority is going to be your family, then that is fantastic. But don't apologize, you know, to your boss when you tell them that you're going to drop down to part time. Don't apologize to anybody else and accept accept it. And then if that means you drive a beater car and you, you know, live in a smaller house or whatever it is, accept it. Don't apologize. Don't, don't try to defend it at all. You just know that you are living by your priorities and unapologetically continue with your life. <laughs> Great. So thank you for your time. Uh, one, uh, you, there's many pearls in what you said. One of them was work-life balance is difficult, but if you do have an imbalance, whether it's more work or more, personal life, it's okay as long as it doesn't bother you. Or the people around you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. So the other takeaway that I loved from her is do the right thing and the money and business follows. Yeah, that's, that's a really important point. Yet another one, she said, um, do, do your thing and don't apologize. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a colleague. And until next time, take care and continue your path to financial success. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a legal or financial professional before making any investment decisions.